Good morning, everybody. It's a beautiful day. If you can turn with me to Acts 4, verse 1, we're going to be looking at verses 1 to uh, 22 today. Just leaving, uh, starting where we left off last week. So, verse 1. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem, with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power, by what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men, for that, a, for that a notable sign has been performed through them, is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them, warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. So right off the bat, we have to remember that Luke is writing to Theophilus, a man of God, a lover of God, in his first volume of this work in the Gospel of Luke. This is the second part of the, the, the work that Luke has written. So we have to remember that a couple of things happened in the Gospel of Luke early on. Jesus was taken to the temple, and a man, a priest in the temple, had... Um, proclaimed that this is Jesus, the Messiah, the King of Kings that Israel has been waiting for in the temple. Very similarly now to the, to the book in Acts, we see something happening in the temple, and Peter and John proclaiming that Jesus is the King of Kings, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then Jesus, as he grows up, is baptized by the Spirit and taken into hostile territory, into a desert place to be tested uh, by Satan. Very early on in the mission and in the, the birthing of the church through Peter and the apostles, we see the, the Spirit descending on the apostles, and now they find themselves after the temple in hostile territory in the, uh, between the leadership of the Jewish people. 
So Peter's connecting these dots for Theophilus that just like I spoke to you, Theophilus, about God in my first work, this is the same God working here in the same way with these uneducated common people that God has transformed. And Peter and John speaking to the crowd, they're arrested. And I don't think anybody has been in a situation here before where imagine Yaku or anybody up here preaching and someone runs in through the door, secret service, whatever, arrests us. A lot of us would probably be like shaking in our boots. What's going on? We might not want to come back here anymore. But that's not what happens here. People believe. The word says that it came up to about, people don't know if it was 5,000 men that actually believed in women or it was from the first sermon to the second sermon, now there's a gathering of 5,000 people that are actually believing. But people are believing. Peter and John are arrested, being taken away, and people are like, I don't care what's happening to them necessarily. I just care about the word that they're speaking about. We believe that word. And this arresting and persecution of some sort is not foreign to us. Um, I used to think that persecution was in, in countries like India, um, in continents like Africa, all of these foreign nations that people actually deal with persecution. A couple of weeks ago, I watched a YouTube video of a man, a pastor in Toronto, preaching the word, and he literally got arrested, and he was charged with disturbing the peace. So this is no longer foreign to us. Me and Yaku, one time, uh, one t- long time ago, we had a great idea. Kath hates these ideas, but we had a great idea. We said, we want to help people. We want to reach people of Milton. And we felt God tell us, go to Milton Mall. That's where a lot of people gather. Little did we know, nobody gathers there, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) So we set up a sign. Yeah, I don't know why we did. Anyways, we set up a sign, and we just sat down very comfortably. And the sign said, if you need help, we want to talk to you. Any way, shape, or form, we just want to talk to you. We're not disturbing anybody. Me and Yaku just sat down. We're having a conversation with each other, prayed a little bit. Out of nowhere, some authorities show up. And the authorities said, what are you doing here? And we said, we're just trying to help people. And they said, but who are you with? No, no, we're not with anybody. We probably should have said, Jesus, that would have stuck. (laughs) We weren't thinking. So anyways, we got kicked out of the mall. They literally said, you're disturbing the way we do things here, you don't have any authority to do this. You need to leave. So we left them on like 10 minutes. We were kicked out. Nobody believed nothing. But here's the thing. Our, 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 our mission that God has given us, remember the parable of the sower, or think of, there's a parable that Jesus tells the crowds of a sower. And the sower's job is to take the seed and just spread the seed. And the parable tells us about different soils that the seed falls on. Our job is not even to look at where the seed is falling. It's just to know the power in the seed, the power of the Word of God, to do what it knows how to do and just keep spreading. And Jesus actually told us in John chapter 15 that we're actually going to face persecution. Jesus said to his disciples, If the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. They have, but verse 25 in uh, chapter 15, uh, but they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. When the helper comes, the Holy Spirit, 
whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me, and you will testify also, because you have been with me from the beginning. In facing persecution, in facing we don't know what to do, we're not really hearing from God, but we know we're called just to keep sowing and keep spreading, God is going to be with us. The Spirit will testify the truth of God to these people. So we got to look at who's persecuting these uh, Peter and John. Because we read and it's just, oh, they're, they're, they've been arrested. But it says the priests, uh, that's pretty simple. We can think of the priests as they deal with the sacraments, the incense, the sacrifices, everything to do with the temple. That's who's, their ears have been aroused by what Peter and John are saying. And they've kind of like given the evil eye to the temple guards, the, the chief of the temple guards, which is like your policeman or whatever. Guys, they're talking some stuff that we don't really agree with. You've got to go get them. And then the Sadducees come around. And the Sadducees, um, their doctrine, their belief, and the reason they're so upset is they don't believe uh, in the resurrection. The Pharisees believed and the scribes believed about the resurrection doctrine, but as like a future hope of something greater and good that would be coming. The Sadducees was all about this world. They actually believed that the body and soul perish. So they're sad, you see. <laughs> That's a Bible joke. <laughs> so they're sad, you see. <laughs> so th- those are the people. Those are the people that are coming. <laughs> those are the people that are coming to arrest Peter and John and dealing with Peter and John. Okay. And they, in man's perspective, if we can picture ourselves in their perspective, they actually have a right to deal with Peter and John because they've dealt with this Jesus in Luke. Chapter 19 and 20, uh, Jesus goes into the temple and he overturns the, uh, in the outer courts, he overturns their tables because he says, this is not a money-changing place, this is a house of prayer for my father. And he changes the ta- uh, overturns the table, which arouses all of this intensity of, in these Jewish leadership, the, the priests, the temple guards, the Sadducees. And then the next day, Jesus goes to the temple to preach like he always does or to teach. And he deals with this crowd. He deals with them about what authority are you doing this stuff in. He deals with who do you pay your taxes to. And he deals with the Sadducees about the resurrection. In Luke chapter 22, it tells us after all of this happened, the people, uh, the, the Jewish leadership wanted to plot to kill Jesus because they feared the people. They feared the people. That's what was controlling why they needed to control Jesus. And it's very interesting. If 5,000 people believed in the name of Jesus and believed the word of God, the population around that time was around 25, 30,000, the scholars say. So that's a big population of someone turning away from the system that they've they've placed for generations. So they're fearing the people of what's going on. And if we fear people and try to please people, we're literally going to become in a state of heart where we live and die by their acceptance. Everything we do is controlled about what so-and-so is going to think about me, what so-and-so, how can I please this person, how can I please that person? And this is what the Jewish leadership is caught in. They're caught in between the Roman government that has allowed them to keep their authority under their God, and they're caught in between the people turning away now. The Roman government gives them authority if they keep the peace with the people. If you start seeing division within the people and what religion is allowed under the Roman authority, the Sadducees, the high priests, the whole, the whole system is going to come under a lot of pressure. 
So the Jewish leadership is trying to keep control of everything. And we all know the famous quote. Remember I was asking you guys. The famous quote. If you live for people's acceptance, you will die from their rejection. And this is the heart that's happening right now with the Jewish leadership. They're trying to keep everything as they've placed it for themselves. So they've, they've been arrested and they wait till the next morning because it was already evening, which goes to show us, again, Luke writing this in, goes to show us how illegally they dealt with Jesus. Jesus was arrest, uh, arrested and dealt through the whole night. They, they went right through their trial process through the night. This time, they're doing it in a more proper fashion. They're doing it in the morning, which is the proper way to do it. So we're in verse 5 now. On the next day, the rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, and John and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had set, their, uh, set them in the midst, they inquired by what power or by what name did you do this? They asked Jesus the same thing. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. So the Jewish leadership comes together the next day, and they're known as the Sanhedrin. When they come together for a trial, they're known as the, the councils, known as the Sanhedrin. It's about 71 people, sometimes 23, if it's not that big of a deal. And they sit actually like this in a semicircle. To find out what this person has been saying, we need to deal with this person. And the council asks a very strong but important question. By what power, by what name did you do this? And you can hear the, the annoyance and the, the anger and the fear when they ask this question. By what, what have you done? Who do you think you are to do any of this? We didn't give you this authority to go and make this uh, man well and um, start preaching to people doctrines that we're not teaching. We didn't give you that authority. Who do you think you are? And if, we, if, I, if, if I take an example to look at it from the opposite side of asking what power did you do this or what name did you do this, imagine, and to give us the, the feeling that they would be feeling. If you heard a knock on your door during the week and someone showed up and you're like, hey, how's it going? Uh, what's going on here? Where are you from? And the person, you, you would naturally ask the person, where, where are you coming from? I don't know you. Who are you representing here? Right? because they've got a nice suit, they look, they look different. And they say the CRA. <laughs> it's a lot of tension. If the, if the CRA comes to your door, for us, we would never think or even probably remember that person's name. I'm just knowing there's a bigger power they're representing and I need to deal with this. That's what the Jewish leadership are dealing with Peter and John. So it's, it's, it's an example for the opposite. The Jewish leadership are going, you're doing something that we didn't authorize, we need to come down to how this actually happened. And look at the difference. Look at the difference. Take note of the difference of the two groups. It, the, the word tells us that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit and the Jewish leadership is filled with emotion, great annoyance, great anger, great fear. So it's two different perspectives coming together. This is not a battle or a war. That war has already been won, which is Peter was trying to tell him. God raised him from the dead. That war has been 
done with. I'm not here to fight you. I'm not here to compete with you. But the two perspectives will clash naturally. Ephesians 6, verses 12 to 15. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you have done everything, to stand. So put the full armor of God on to stand. Stand firm then, with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And, and Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, with the gospel of peace, standing firm in his place, wearing a, a breastplate of righteousness, a belt buckle of truth, and that's all he's going to give them. Peace from the gospel, truth from the gospel, and it's up to them to decide what's going to happen. And we see the beautiful transformation of Peter. If, if we think back to the story of how Jesus was arrested um, and, his and his trial went, when, when they were in the garden and the, the authorities came to arrest Jesus, Peter grabbed the sword and separated a guard from his ear. This is the same Peter we're looking at in the same situation being arrested one difference that Kath was talking about. The Word of God has transformed this man's heart. The Spirit of God is now dwelling inside of him. And he's standing his ground. He's not running away from Jesus. He's not denying that he followed Jesus like he did the, fir the, the first time that, uh, Jesus was arrested, denying that he even knew Jesus. None of that's happening. He's standing firm, looking them in the eye, submitting to their authority because he's been arrested, but t telling them, I'm not denying him anymore. He has transformed my life. Nothing is the same when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, when you're filled with the Word of God. So, Peter responds, rulers of the people and elders. He's submitting to their authority. Submitting to their authority. And he's pointing out to them how kind of ridiculous this situation is because you're putting us under arrest for making a man well, for, for, for healing him. We didn't just give him his, his alms as he was asking for, like everybody else did. God has transformed his life. If that's what we're being arrested for, that's cool. It's Jesus of Nazareth that has done this. And Peter uses that title, Nazareth. If you remember when he was speaking to the people outside of the temple, he gave them glorious titles to think about, the people. He gave them um, the servant that God glorified. He gave them the righteous one, the holy one, to attribute to Jesus. Now in front of the authorities, he's playing a different card. He's saying Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth was a title that was from where Jesus came from, his family came from, but nobody, it was, a, it was a stereotype that nothing good came out of Nazareth. And this is what Peter is, is using uh, as wisdom speaking to them. Nothing good has come out of Nazareth, but you're wrong. The greatest thing has come from Nazareth. If we remember when Jesus, um, if we look at John chapter 1, Jesus was choosing his disciples, he was picking his disciples, and he, um, he tells Philip, he sees Philip, Philip, come follow me. Philip follows him, and he had excitement 
of seeing Jesus, Philip goes and gets his buddy, Nathaniel. Right? Yes, Nathaniel. And Nathaniel was sitting under a fig tree. And Philip goes to get Nathaniel under a fig tree. And these are Philip's words to Nathaniel. We have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to Philip, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Then Nathaniel, intrigued by this conversation and what Philip was so excited about, goes back with Philip to go meet Jesus. As Nathaniel is, is uh, arriving at where Jesus is at, Jesus says to him, um, this is an Israelite where there is no deceit in. This is what he says about Nathaniel. And Nathaniel says to him, how do you know me? And Jesus tells him, I saw you under the fig tree, Nathaniel, before Philip even called you. Nathaniel answered, an Israelite who has no deceit in him. Nathaniel says to him, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And Jesus responds to him, truly, truly, I tell you, you will see greater things than this, Nathaniel. You will see the heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It is no longer the, the high priestly family and the Sadducees that are the doorway or the gate or the entrance or the, the access into God and the heavenly realm. It is Jesus, and that's what Jesus is telling Nathaniel. It's okay that I'm from Nazareth. That's okay. I'm God that you've been waiting for. I'm God that you've been waiting for. Peter said, this is the God of Abraham, this is the God of Isaac, this is the God of Jacob. Jacob had a vision exactly about this. In the Old Testament, Jacob's going to find his wife. On the way to his wife, he takes a nap, and he has a dream, a vision of God. And God gives him these, this exact vision that Jesus told Nathaniel about. God ascending and descending right there where Jacob was. And the whole reason that God showed him that vision was Jacob. I'm going to continue the promises that I gave to your fathers and your forefathers and your whole family. And the reason being so that the east, west, north, and south will spread with my kingdom, will spread with my glory. And that's what's happening here. The kingdom of God is spreading. It is no longer contained within this Jewish leadership of generations. It's being outburst into the world. And Peter continues. Peter continues this, this argument of him, of him in, uh, in full of wisdom, full of peace, full of the Holy Spirit. And he says, this guy that you think nothing good came out of, he's God. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. He's the God of Jacob. Everything is hinging on him. He is the cornerstone. A cornerstone, we have one actually out there. It's like this gray brick. And a cornerstone uh, is known to join two walls in construction or it is known to be placed in the foundation to bear all of the weight of the building. And this is what uh, Peter is telling them. Everything hinges on Jesus, not on you, and that's okay. Don't be upset about it. It's Jesus that we've been waiting for. He's here. Everything that we've done is on his shoulders. This burden has been lifted off of us, and you're rejecting him. You are the builders, and we're, Peter's not denying the fact that they're the builders, but the builders that should know their God are rejecting their God. And Peter flat out tells them this. And Peter learned this from Jesus. Jesus said the same thing to the Jewish leadership. He gave them a parable. So Jesus said something figuratively. Peter learned the lesson is telling them straight out to the, to the Jewish leadership. The parable was about the tenants. So Jesus tells the, the Jewish leadership about um, these tenants 
that God had given or an owner had given a couple of people a vineyard to take care of. Now, God continues to send his people to go check up on the vineyard that he gave uh, authority for these people to take care of. And when God's servants come to check up on the vineyard, the tenants disrespect the, the servants, they abuse the servants, sometimes even kill the servants. And God says, well, I'm just going to have to send my heir. I'm going to send the, my son. He's telling this to the Jewish leadership. And the, the, the tenants that were taking care of the vineyard look at each other and they said to themselves, well, we've dealt with all of the servants. His son is now coming. If we can deal with him, we can keep all of the inheritance. So the son comes around and the, word, the, the parable tells us they killed the son. And Jesus poses a question to the, to the people. He says, what would you do or what do you think God would do? And, the, and Jesus responds and he goes, God would take the, the, the vineyard from those people and give it to someone else to take care of. The response from the Jewish leadership, surely not. That would never happen. And Jesus responds to them, the stone that you're rejecting is the cornerstone, guys. I'm trying to explain to you what's happening here, and you're rejecting it right in front of you. And Peter is remembering this lesson and has learned this lesson and is telling them flat out again. But when, when, when you're in power, when you're in power at that level, and you're not submitting yourself under God, it's not a pretty sight when you're confronted with someone that you think in your eyes should be submitting to you. And that's what's happening here. Peter should be submitting to them and just going on with, okay, fine, we won't preach the gospel, we won't preach Jesus. But that's not happening, and it's not a pretty sight. It's not a pretty sight. If, if we... In the history of Israel, Israel was uh, demanded a king, and they got their first king named Saul. And now Saul was going around defeating all the enemies of Israel, and there was one battle that God said, you cannot take anything as a spoil from the battle. You need to destroy everything. Do not take anything with you. And Saul, in his own perspective, decided to not do that and disobey the word of the Lord. And Samuel was the priest at that time. And Samuel came and told Saul, you've rejected the word of God. You've disobeyed God. You will no longer. God is taking the authority of you as king away from you. Okay? And Samuel begins to walk away from Saul the king. And Saul grabs on to Samuel's robe, the Bible says, and it rips. And this is the Jewish leadership. The kingdom or the authority in their kingdom is being taken away from them and given to someone else, Jesus, the cornerstone. And they are Saul, grabbing on for everything, for dear life, on the road. And Samuel turns around and says, Saul, it's done. There is nothing you can do at this moment. There's nothing wrong with Saul repenting or saying, I'm sorry for the kingdom being taken away from him. Nothing wrong with that. He should just go and follow the next king that God is choosing. There's nothing wrong with the Jewish leadership being told, you are not the cornerstone anymore. Jesus is here. Just follow Jesus. Just follow Jesus. What happens in the story? David is the next king in line. And Samuel goes to find David. And he goes to the family of Jesse, which is David's dad, and he asks Jesse, bring out all your sons. We're here to select a new king. God has sent me here. And Jesse brings out all of his sons, and God says, Samuel, no, I'm not looking at outward appearance. I'm looking at the heart. 
The people are looking for the next Saul. The people are looking for the next big, uh, best thing according to Saul. Not according to my word. I'm looking at the heart. All of the sons go by. And Samuel says to Jesse, do you have another son? Do you have another son? And Jesse says, yes. He's actually in the fields. He's my youngest. He's at the fields tending to the sheep. The one they did not expect was the one after God's own heart. And that's what Peter is trying to, to portray for them. The one you didn't expect is the one that is God's glorified servant. It's God's son. It's the Messiah. And that's okay. You killed him. It's okay. God raised him from the dead. Let's worship him. Let's follow him. But they're not letting go. They're holding on for everything that they have. Psalm 18 is what is the cornerstone uh, verse that's being quoted by Jesus and Peter. And it says, Open to me the gates of righteousness, verse 19, that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The, righteousness, the righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. The stone that the builders rejected has become the, sto- the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. It is marvelous in our eyes. And the, the, the Jewish leadership are not seeing this. They're not responding to this. And Samuel as a priest, Samuel as a prophet, is like Peter now, the mouthpiece for God. Saul, the Jewish leadership, not wanting to let go of the authority the people not noticing that Jesus is the one, even though they didn't expect him or he didn't look like it. And Peter is saying to them, guys, it's no longer about sacrifices and rams and goats and any of that. It's obedience to the word of God that became flesh and has dwelt among us, is dwelling inside of us. You see power that is not from us. It's from Jesus that has made this man well. It's no longer about what we thought about. We need to think differently about this. And what does Peter say? There is, in fact, there is no other name under heaven or under God or under earth that any man shall be saved or made whole or made well. It is only Jesus that will save a man. It is not a sacrifice of man. It is not um, the goodness of man. It is not the wisdom of man. It is Jesus Christ of Nazareth that will save every person. In San Diego, give you an example of one person that could only do the job. It, we, were, we were hanging out at the beach. Everybody's having a swim, playing around with the waves. And the chaos in the water, just like the chaos in the world, we don't see it sometimes. But it gets us. Now, the chaos in the water was an undertow. And it got us, okay? It got us and people were in trouble. People were getting tired out in the middle of the ocean. And now, now we hear, Yahoo! <laughs> And I, I'm starting to turn around, and I don't know what's going on because I'm oblivious to the chaos of this undertow, and I'm just floating around. Anyways, long story short, we need to start whistling in the lifeguards because that's the only person that can deal with the chaos in the water and save lives. Jesus is our lifeguard, but even more than that, he is the creator of life, the giver of life, the sustainer of life, the cornerstone to our, our weight He is all of that for us. And there is no other name under heaven. 
for the Jewish person to say under heaven, it literally means for them under God. There is no one else under God that will save a man from his dire needs. Verse 13, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. When we spend time with Jesus at his feet, when we spend time listening to what God has to say for our lives, people will recognize that we've been with someone that they have never met. That they have never met. And it's not... It's not Eric, it's not Kayla, it's not uh, anybody, it's not Warwick, it's not Frank, not, nothing. It is, you, you are doing something that I've never seen before. The way you respond, I've never seen before. How did you get this way? And my prayer is, my heart is, because of the truthfulness of God, that we, like Peter, like John, stand firm and not be ashamed to say it's Jesus. Verse 14, But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? This is the Jewish leadership, guys. We need... They're dealing with people that are telling them about their God. About the God of the earth. And they're the leadership, this, this, the religious uh, leadership, the spiritual leadership for the people. And they send Peter and John away. And in, instead of asking advice from their God, they confer with one another in their hatred, in their jealousy, in their annoyance. And instead of asking, what is God doing with these men, they ask themselves, what shall we do with these men? When we have tasted and seen God and spent time with God, may we always firstly go to God and ask, God, what are you doing in my life? So they said they conferred with one another and said, a notable sign has been performed through them. It's evident to everybody and we can't deny that but in order that it may spread no further among the people. Let us warn them, warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, to listen to man, rather than to God, you can judge that. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When we spend time at Jesus' feet, we will not be able to contain what we've seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. They were all praising God. They weren't praising uh, a different God that they've never heard of. They were all praising the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So they cannot do anything to these people. 
For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. These are normal men, uneducated men, with the boldness of the gospel filled with the Holy Spirit. That is all that is empowering Peter and John, compelling Peter and John to stand their ground and continue to preach the gospel. And what we have to ask ourselves is, in what relationship, in what authority or platform may we be standing in that we're not submitting to God, that we're not asking God, how can I please you, Father? How can I listen to your voice, Father, instead of, let's confer with one another. Let me just think of myself how the best situation can, pa- can happen if I can manipulate this or I can control the situation. We need to ask ourselves, what is God doing with us? Not what should we do with our own lives. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 8, verses 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels." In this world, if we have all the power and money and gifts and charisma, we can easily, we've seen it time and time again, we can easily gain the whole world, gain all the fame in the world, gain all of the money in the world, all of that. And when we meet God face to face, what are we going to give for our souls? Because idols are meant to be destroyed. The, the, the idols of the Jewish leadership of having, wanting authority and wanting to keep the authority, that's not meant to uh, be played with. That's just meant to be destroyed. The idols in our lives are not to exchange with God for our souls. It's to be destroyed so God can fill our hearts and renew our souls with inheritance, with power, with authority, with love and peace that is not of this world. This world keeps us in bondage, a continual bondage under slavery of wanting more and wanting more and wanting more. And God is saying, enough of that. Follow me. Deny those emotions. Deny those feelings and I will satisfy you. I am here when you are tired. I am here when you are hungry. And I will never leave you. So may we learn the lesson of Peter and John of experiencing the faith of Jesus, the power of Jesus' life, just like they did, and they're able, they're able to continue through the persecution. They're able to continue through the unbelief of the people around them. They continue through because they've seen the assurance of the resurrection life of God. 
They've seen that assurance and they cannot stop but speak about it and tell people about it and engage people about this truthfulness that there is eternity. That feeling that we want more and more and more, that is an eternal feeling that only God can satisfy. So Father, thank you for your word once again. Thank you that you literally fill us up with your Holy Spirit and dwell inside of us. Thank you that you give us the ability, the strength to stand firm in every situation and know that you are with us, know that you are moving inside of us and around us. Give us a boldness like Peter and John, Father, to reach our surrounding areas with peace, wisdom, and love in our hearts for them. And thank you that you are pleased with us, Father, that you have accepted us before we've done anything in this life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.